So today's first Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 1 to 12. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way over here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if this man was Galilean. When he learnt that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see, see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Now we'll have a prayer. Will you pray with us? Heavenly Father, reflecting upon the events of Easter fills us with thankfulness and gratitude. We give you great thanks for rescuing us and sending Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that you, who, who is rich in mercy, reached out to us and did all your saving work, perfectly, once for all, and completely. Thank you that Good Friday is not the end of the Easter story and that we know the joy that is to come from the victory of Resurrection Sunday. And we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ who we can spend this time today with reflecting upon your Son and our Saviour, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that not only the people in this room, but others too, would have their eyes open to what you have done for them through Jesus. We pray that you would draw many people to yourself this Easter as Christians around the world share the great hope we have in you. And Lord, for Christians in need of encouragement or refreshment or assurance, we pray that this Easter would provide a time for them to reflect upon Jesus and be amazed afresh by your love and grace towards them. As we worship together here in the beautiful Adelaide Hills, we also want to bring before you those in need, both here in our community and all over the world. In our community, we bring before you those who are grieving the loss of a loved one or the loss of a relationship. May we as a church family bless those around us and truly reflect your love to each other as we know that you are close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. We ask that as a church community, you would fill us with compassion for those around us and that concern would lead to involvement in whatever way necessary to meet people's needs. Would we, be, would we be so convicted by Jesus and confident of his ongoing work through his spirit that we would reach out to the community you have placed us in? We know what love is because you first loved us. We also bring before you, Lord, those around the world who are in physical need. And this morning, we particularly think of those living in countries struggling under war, 
famine and the ongoing effects of COVID-19. We pray for the millions of people in Yemen who continue to experience a catastrophic humanitarian crisis. In our relative abundance, we pray that we would look and act with compassion on those who, though far away, need our help. God of mercy and peace, would you bring an end to the conflict there and provide them with stable leadership, allowing people to have food, clean water and medical care. We humbly bring to you all these things and the things in our hearts to you, Lord. We thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray them in the name of Jesus. Amen. And our second Bible reading today comes from Luke uh, 23, verses 13 to 25. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? For I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant the demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Thanks for that, Josh. Uh, It's very powerful, isn't it, to read about... This, this man who was accused and who deserved to die, but who walked free because Jesus died in his place and to, to know that that is, that is who we are, that is how we fit into the Easter story. Uh, so there are many powerful parts of the story. And so I thought I'd, we'd, we'd open it up this morning to see if there's anyone who, who would like to share about what particular aspects of the Easter story really stand out and, and are powerful for you. And I haven't planted any answers, so I am actually relying on <laughs> people to engage with this. Ah, oh, Bev, thank you. <laughs> what stands out to you about Good Friday, Bev? The love of the Father and the love of the Son for us, and we don't deserve it. Amen. Thank you for sharing. Anyone else? Oh, right here, Tony. What stands out to me is the, the price that God was willing to pay to reconcile us, that, that Jesus died for us out of their love. Yeah. yeah, very high price. We've got one over here, Rachel. Uh, every Easter, the criminal on the cross next to Jesus who was forgiven at the last hour, I just love, love that. always gives me hope. It's beautiful, isn't it? Thank you for sharing. Anyone else? Oh, yep, one at the back. Thanks, Josh. What stands out about Good Friday for you? 
Um, I just am always amazed at how when Jesus died, the temple curtain just split in two. Like, that is amazing. That's, yeah, it just shows how, you know, God is more powerful than literally anything. Yeah, it's really, really powerful knowing that that relationship to God was opened up by Jesus dying. Anyone else? Anyone, anyone brave? Anyone got something they're burning to share with everyone? Yep, Michelle, I thought I could <laughs> rely on you. I know it's not really PC, but every Easter I'm absolutely astounded by just how much he suffered. The physical, the emotional, the spiritual suffering, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's, it's very, very, very hard to read, but very beautiful to read as well. Leah. I'd highly recommend a thorough reading of church history and the way um, this event changed the whole world. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. It's um, certainly 2,000 years on and still <laughs> we're still celebrating it very much. Anyone else? Those are some excellent reflections so far. Has anyone got anything they just want to put on top of that? Yep, David at the back. Whole, the whole Wynn family is getting involved. Well done, guys. Uh, yeah, it's a really humbling moment when you reflect that, in, in essence, we were the people who were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, by rejecting him, and he still went through all that pain and suffering just so that we could have the chance to come to know him. That's right. Thank you for sharing. I might get you to come up the front, David, because you're about to do the Bible reading. And while David is coming up, does anyone else, anyone else got something to share about Good Friday? Yep. Marty? Hi, Mark. I just thought um, if anyone here hasn't seen the movie um, Passion of the Christ yet, it, it is an amazing movie. Um, I, and I can, it, it did change my, my, my views and how I, I really understand Easter a lot. Yeah, there's something about seeing it visually, isn't there? I found the, the same thing with the Mark drama. As well. Was there another hands up? Oh, yep. In the trial, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. I felt that he looked at me. Yeah, it's very, very moving. We can really see ourselves in the, in the people that were there in those days. One last chance. Going, going. Thank you for sharing, everyone. And David will read for us. Okay, this next part of the reading is Luke 23, 32 to 46. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there held insults at him. Aren't you Messiah? Save yourself and us. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our, our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Well, thank you, David. And... It was uh, so good to hear everyone's reflections just then. If you don't know me, my name is Chris, welcome. Uh, It's great to have you here at church with us this Friday. Uh, We've been asking the question, what did Easter bring us? And the answer is a lot more than a long weekend and a lot more than too much chocolate. So last night we met and we heard death's champion, actually. That's what Easter brought us and today, we're looking at the idea that Easter brings us a personal saviour, a saviour for you, a saviour for me. Now, this implies that there are some things, our debt against God, our sin, our guilt, which needs to vanish. There are some, it's, it's an adult service, but there are some youngsters here, so this is just a shameless attempt to engage you, right, and get you to listen, all right? So, I want to... I want to show you a magic trick. So here is, um, here is a Coke bottle. Here is a pl- uh, paper bag. Now, it's very, very difficult to make a solid object vanish, right? But we could put the Coke bottle into the bag. Click our fingers. It's vanished. That's the easy part. The hard thing is making it reappear. Amazing, right? Okay, so that's incredible. Now, this is, I know, I know, this, you can do it upside down. You ready? Okay, so here we go. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> okay. And then, amazing. So, yeah, I know you're not really impressed. Um, yeah, I mean, the reality is, It's impossible to make a physical object vanish, right? It's impossible. Okay, now I've got your attention, now I want you to listen, all right? Now, today we're thinking about Jesus dying on the cross. This is the center point of our journey through Easter. Why did he die? Is it just that he was unlucky? He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, no. We've already had a verse from Isaiah being read out, which was about Jesus' death. That verse was written 700 years earlier. This is part of a massive plan of God. Okay, so why did Jesus die? Well, Jesus died, 1 Peter, chapter three, verse 18. This is the the verse we're gonna hang this talk on. It tells us four things. Christ died for sins. He died once for all. He died the righteous for the unrighteous. And he died to bring you to God. The reason he died was for sins. The range of his death in its application is once for all. 
If you like the method or the recipe, the righteous for the unrighteous, the res- and the result to bring you to God. Um, it would be incredible to make our sins disappear, isn't, wouldn't it? I mean, we know how difficult that is. You think about um, times when you have done wrong, when you have hurt someone, uh, and that not dealt with becomes an invisible wall that gets built up. And it's so hard for things to ever be the same again. Now imagine that over the course of our life we have built up this wall against God because every act of sin is an act of defiance saying, God, no, 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 I want to be, I want to be in charge. Uh, it's, it's rejection of God who made us, who loves us, who made us for a relationship with him and we build this wall. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that wall of sins that cuts us off from God could disappear? But how could it happen? We've been told that Christ died for sins. He died to make the wall of sin disappear. We need it to disappear because that wall is very hard and we just heard about it in the reading. The sinfulness of the words of people who wanted Jesus crucified. Um, They are harsh words, they are ugly words, they are black words, they're words which expose the rottenness of our heart, which we can look down our noses at them and say we would never do that, no, 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 but push comes to shove, put us in the right situation, we'd all do it. Um, First of all, you've got the Jewish leaders, they accuse Jesus, he subverts our nation, he's wrecking the way things are, he's upending the status quo, Jesus spoke against Hypocrisy, didn't he? Uh, he smelled a rat, but he, 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 put, he pointed it out. They hate it. He said, he's against paying taxes to Caesar. Well, that's a lie. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's, which is much, much more. But they made up lies against him. They said he claims to be Christ, a king. Now, that, that is true. Jesus did claim that, that, and it was true, and yet... We know he's the best king anyone could have, a king who cared about his people. He was the king who on the cross with his crown of thorns, right, with the sign above his head, king of the Jews, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I mean, can you imagine a king like that? Um, I didn't say it. Mark was wondering, you know, which, which um, moment speaks to you. I was reading in Matthew's gospel this week just of when Jesus is arrested, and He's just gone in agony of soul in Gethsemane, prayed that God would take away the cup, yet has the selflessness to say, yet not what I will, but what you will, astounding. And then at that point, he comes back, he sees his disciples sleeping, they they haven't stood by his side, Um, but his concern is for them. Rise, let us go, here comes our betrayer. They're coming now through through the thicket, you know, to them, and, and it's too late. They've been sleeping too long. And then Judas comes up and betrays him with a kiss. The relational pain of that is just immense. And then um, Jesus, what does he say to, to Judas? What would you expect him to say? You know, what would you say in that situation? You slug. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Friend. Friend. Came and do. Do what you came for. He walks into it. He calls his betrayer a friend. This is the king that the Jewish leaders say, no, we don't don't want any of it. In fact, they would rather see Jesus crucified than have him as their king. What does perverse distortion of the human heart 
is there that would make them do that? Sin is so ugly. And yet Christ died for sins. But how do you make a wall of sin disappear? That wall is very, very hard. Um, the Jewish leaders didn't want him. Pilate was next. Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it's as you say. Pilate says, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Sounds like Pilate's on Jesus' side. Sounds like Pilate is a friend of Jesus, except he is no friend of Jesus. That day, Pilate becomes a friend of Herod, and Herod is against Jesus. In the end, Pilate hands Jesus over. He's more concerned with protecting himself from the trouble caused by angry Jews than by doing the right thing by Jesus. To Pilate, Jesus was a problem he wished would simply go away. Well, that's sinful, isn't it? And it's true, isn't it? Uh, a lot of people, maybe you, maybe me, often think that Jesus is a problem we just wish would go away. And the last, of course, to speak was Herod, who exposes the ugliness of his sin. Herod was excited to finally see Jesus and wanted Jesus to do a miracle. Everyone likes a good magic trick, right? <laughs> but Jesus wasn't a magician. He wasn't there to entertain Herod. And so Herod mocked him and made fun of him because Jesus wasn't the puppet who would dance to his tune. He wouldn't perform as an actor on Herod's stage at Herod's direction. The Jewish leaders would rather die than have Jesus as their king. Pilate chose to get rid of Jesus because he was a problem. Herod hand, uh, handed him back because he was a disappointment. Ugly, ugly sin, and yet sin which we can relate to. Yeah, have you ever thought Jesus a disappointment? Have you ever thought him just, you wished he'd go away? Um, have you ever thought, no, I just don't want him in charge? Well, they were the thoughts that got Jesus killed. And as ugly as these sinful thoughts are, the remarkable thing is Jesus, of course, didn't fight back. <laughs> because him dying was God's plan to take away our sin. When I was about 10 years old, my uh, family were holidaying with our cousin's family. I had a cousin named Matt. He was a little bit younger than me, and we... We're at this holiday house and you know, parents were inside having drinkies or whatever before dinner and we were outside. And we got one of these things off the totem tennis you know, kit and um, we were having a go, whipping it around our head like this and letting it fly, seeing how far we could go. And then my auntie came out and she's a small lady and she said, don't do that because there are power lines all around you and it's going to get caught up in the power lines. And she went back and having stamped her authority and we all went, oh. well, that's the end of our fun. And then I said, I was kind of the oldest, and I said, oh, it's not going to happen. Show those parents. And so, of course, I got it at that point and did this humongous hurl like a big hammer throw. And it arced through the air. I can still see it. And it head towards the power lines and then went like this. <laughs> and at that point, like it's really clear that a violation of a command has been committed. Because the, 
You can't lie your way out of that, right? The evidence is dangling from the power lines in front of you. And milliseconds after, you know, this thing stops swaying, out comes my auntie. She's a small lady, but she had... I mean, I thought my mum was scary when she... This was nothing on my auntie. And she was this seething volcano. And her, her, her eyes were like lightning daggers. And, and we were just frozen, frozen there. And um, she looked at us and said, Who did this? Now, I, I've never felt so judged and guilty, you know. And... Um, uh, I would like to say, I just said, yeah, it was me, I'm sorry, I'll take the fall. I, but I'd never encountered an adult anger quite like this. And I, I'm ashamed to say that I just stood there, I, I froze. My cousin, Matt, happened to be just in front of, this was, we were all frozen, but he was just in front of me between his mum, my auntie, and me. And she said, you did it, and she, and now I know that she knew he didn't do it because she, came, she saw the whole thing. She, otherwise, how could she come out milliseconds after it happened? You know, she, she knew I was guilty, but she unleashed the fury of her anger upon my cousin, the innocent one, who stood there. And he didn't point fingers and say, no, 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 it was him. He took it. Oh, that was a moment. Now, God is no volcanic auntie, right? <laughs> okay. But in a way, it does illustrate what happened at the cross to take our sins away. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ died for sins, and here's how it works. He died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. He died once for all. I want you to imagine just in front of us, there is a big spinning globe. Have you got it? You can see it spinning around. It's our world, right? Just there. And it, this is the first day and it spins around, but there's a black streak that's gone across it as it makes its first revolution. And that is the sin that spread out from the Garden of Eden because that has met, left a mark, right? Now, when it says Christ died for sins once for all, it's talking about that sin, but actually the world keeps spinning, doesn't it? And the population keeps growing, and as you read through the Bible, we see sin spreading and increase, and now the stain is getting right out over that globe, which is spinning right in front of us. There is an inky blackness which is stretching out over the whole lot, okay? And all the revolutions that the world did up until Jesus came, when it says Christ died for sins once for all, it's talking about he pays for the sin of all, all the sins beforehand. But then, of course, he pays for the sins that are currently going on, and there were huge amounts on that Good Friday. Crucify, crucify, says the crowd. What ugliness. A week earlier, they were the ones who welcomed him into Jerusalem with great acclaim. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the Lord. Crucify, crucify, because he didn't meet their expectations. And they want to kill him for that. It's so ugly. Christ died for all those sins. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. The only way the Father could forgive them is if he paid for those sins. But then, of course, once for all implies that the world keeps spinning and the stain of sin, the blackness, is now permeating and this is when we are living. Times beyond Jesus' earthly life. All that sin 
the sin now that's there and the sin that will come, Christ dies for it all. And if you can imagine his blood being poured out on the world and the inky blackness kind of draining down into a pool. Christ died for sins once for all. How could it work, the death of one man? Because he is not just one man, he is the innocent and pure son of God come into the world for precisely this main work. Christ died for sins. He died once for all. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, wasn't it? There's no more need for atoning sacrifices. That day is ended on the day that Jesus died. Atonement has been made in full. But how does it work? What's the recipe? He dies the righteous for the unrighteous. Now, some of you will know that I'm a twin. Here is a picture. There we are. Are we cute? Up there, little tubby tummies, there you are. That was at uh, the Fringe Festival. My brother, for some reason, didn't want to wear the velour jacket. What's wrong with him? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's Adam, Adam the first, Christopher the second. Mum and Dad had no idea what was going on when they named us. True. It was just kind of a weird coincidence. All right, so there we are. Um, my twin, twin brother. Now, being a twin, of course, means that you can get up to some mischief. Um, in high school, we played tricks. We used to swap classes. I remember the day in year 12 when we swapped general studies classes and my teacher, in whose class I was not, threw a surprise year 12 assessment exam. <laughs> now, now, the wonderful thing about my twin brother is he's very smart. So I did really well in that assessment exam. <laughs> and uh, in case you're thinking that's entirely dodgy, we did tell the teacher she did, and it was only worth 1%, and I topped the subject anyway, so it was all fine, you know. So, um, but Adam did, we did very, very well. It was fun uh, swapping like that. We used to work in um, Westfield Shopping Centre in Hurstville in Sydney, and I used to work in a department store, and he'd work at... Um, BBC hardware, which was before Bunnings. And uh, at lunchtime, we'd swap and serve each other's customers just for fun. It was so fun. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> all right. Anyway, um, so we swapped. On the cross, this is exactly what happened. Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous swapping for the unrighteous. And the illustration comes out in the story itself, in the releasing of Barabbas. Barabbas was unrighteous, he was the murderer. He was the one everybody knew deserved to die. Beside him on the steps where Pilate was, was Jesus, the innocent one, the righteous one, the one who definitely did not deserve to die. Pilate said so three times, it was very clear. I find no basis for a charge against this man. I find no basis for a charge against him, neither has Herod, he's done nothing to deserve death. I find in him no grounds for the death penalty. Three times, one, two, three. But the crowd shout, release Barabbas to us. What's Pilate going to do? He's there, these Jewish people, they're hotheads. He's gotta calm down the situation before it gets out of control. He's going to release one and pacify them. Who do you think he's going to release? Jesus, the righteous one, he's on this side who didn't deserve death, or Barabbas, the unrighteous one, the one who did deserve death? Who should he release? Okay, Jesus, of course, but he doesn't. He releases Barabbas. 
This is an illustration in the narrative story itself of what happens. Christ dies, the innocent for the guilty. Barabbas deserved death, but he got off because Jesus, who didn't deserve death, he went to death so that the guilty could go free. It seems so unfair, but it achieves something quite remarkable. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. What's the result? To bring us to God. Um, the first person to experience this, of course, was the criminal next to Jesus. You remember the criminals? Okay. Two, two criminals crucified either side. The first criminal starts haranguing Jesus and mocking him on the cross. Now, here's, there's two remarkable things that happen in this conversation. The other criminal starts defending Jesus, okay? And he says, he says remarkable things. He says, where are we? Uh, Don't you fear God? Now, when you think about that, that's remarkable. Don't you fear God? He's saying that as bad as the situation is, you, I mean, you couldn't imagine getting it much worse, could you? Don't you fear God? He is thinking that the situation could get worse. How could it get worse? Well, things could get a lot worse because beyond death comes a judgment. And it's amazing, this second criminal has the presence of mind when he's been crucified to know that God will hold him to account for the words he says, even at that moment. What makes him think of that? Well, when you think for a moment, it's easy to understand why. He's hanging on a cross because of his guilt and wrongdoing. He knows, he experiences it in the pull of his muscles and the difficulty he is in taking a breath and the, the you know, the nails through his hands, he knows it, that sin will have its price. Sin demands payment. Sin will be punished. He knows it. And he knows that although he's had his day in human court, which has led to him being strung up, and he's guilty, he knows it. He knows that beyond the human court is a divine court, which we all must face. And so he doesn't want to add to his guilt. He's saying, we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Now, that shows that he knows he needs saving. But it's what comes out of his mouth next that is the true surprise. And I think these are perhaps the most insightful words in all of scripture from a sinner. At that moment, when Jesus is strung up and everyone else there either turns their stomach, turns away and their stomach's you know, feeling repulsed, like, you know, like when you see a cat squashed in the gutter with its eyeballs popping out, you know, that sort of, it's that sort of nauseating, grotesque yuck that makes you want to vomit. That's what it would have looked like. And at that moment, when everyone else is thinking, there is someone who is cursed by God, There is someone who's obviously being punished by God. God God is not for them. That is a person who God is against. How could you conclude anything else? At that point, 
the guy who's strung up next to him says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I think those words are astoundingly insightful. He sees Jesus. He sees past the blood, the feces, the muck, the shame, the degradation, the humiliation, the curse. He looks at Jesus and he actually hopes in him. <laughs> and more than that, he trusts in him. And he calls upon him. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Like, it's obvious that you're going to, isn't it? I mean, every, it wasn't obvious. The sign, the king of the Jews that Pilate put up there, well, that was to warn everyone about what would happen if you said you were the king of the Jews. And the crown of thorns, that was to make mockery of Jesus being the king of the Jews. No one else saw that Jesus was the king of the Jews. But this man did. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, he hopes in Jesus. Why does Jesus' death work for him and not the other, kingdom, the other criminal? Well, who do you see on the cross this Good Friday? Someone to roll your eyes at, someone to say, pass the, pass the hot cross bun, someone to say, I wanna get home and eat the chocolate. Or, or a king, your king, who can lead you to God. The second surprise in the conversation on the cross comes in Jesus' answer. Jesus on the cross turns to him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, what that is saying is that his death worked. The only way this criminal who was guilty could be in paradise is if his sins were taken away. His sins were washed. <laughs> no, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. Now, there is a kind of um, urban folklore that says, and we can fall into it, which says, um, I, I, I struggle in my relationship with God. Oh, I know that I've done wrong. Uh, I feel guilty. Uh, so, I'll try harder. And um, as long as I don't swear, or as long as I you know, don't look at porn, or as long as I um, uh, tr try and unpack the dishwasher, or uh, as long as I, whatever, I'll make it up with God. Okay, now you see what that is. That's a, it depends on me and my efforts. And my coming to God is all about me and what I do. And we fall into it, don't we? Now, here is the ultimate test case. Here is a guy who is a convicted rotter and he knows that he's not protesting his innocence. And yet he is the one who has no time to redeem himself, if, even if that were possible. The last moment in his life, and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Okay, today you'll be with me in paradise. In other words, it's not about what we do, right? It is so not about what we do. Christ died for sins. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. Today we come on Good Friday, we are not at a funeral. We are not mourning because Jesus is still dead. Nor are we at an Anzac Day service to commemorate the honorable sacrifice of fallen people. Um, Take this the right way. Anzac Day is um, commemorating a, uh, a lot of deaths, sadly, tragically, 
for no good purpose. We're actually lost. We come today to commemorate and remember the one who died and his death worked. His death changes things forever. His death changes the world forever. The whole world washed clean for those who trust in him. The first criminal who made a mockery of Jesus, Jesus never, he never heard those words from Jesus. But the second criminal who, basically, who trusted him for his life, yeah, he heard them. Today you'll be with me in paradise. It's that simple. Friends, that is the response that we need to make to Jesus on Good Friday. Remember me. I need you so much. I am lost without you. I'm afraid without you. I don't want to face judgment without you. Remember me. And the answer? You'll be with me in paradise. It's all about who you trust. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that in obedience to your desire and will, your plan, he loved the world enough not to come down from that cross even though his taunters tempted him to. Come down, save yourself and us. He didn't do it. He stayed the course until he paid for the sin of the world, until he satisfied the law's demands, until he undid the sin's curse, until he made atonement in full once for all the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And we come before you today and now we pray, have mercy on us. And like the words of that second criminal, we pray, Father and Lord Jesus, remember, remember me, remember us in your kingdom. And we praise you so much for he who died to secure the truth of those words, today you'll be with me in paradise. Amen.